0: Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis
1: Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Ben Whiting, Vice President of Exploration for Dolly Varden Silver Corp., training as DV on the TSX Venture Exchange and DOLLF in the U.S. The company owns 100% of the Dolly Varden Mines' historic silver property. The current favorable price of silver has renewed investor interest in this most historic of the silver mines in Northwestern British Columbia in Canada. The property is best considered an advanced exploration stage play with well-understood targets, and I am a shareholder of Dolly Varden Silver Corp. We join Mr. Whiting today at the recent PDAC conference, the Prospectors and Developers Association of Canada, the largest mining conference on earth. Ben, welcome back to the program. Good morning. Thanks for the invitation. If you don't mind, give our audience an overview of Dolly Varden.
2: Dolly Varden's a great silver property in northern British Columbia. It's sometimes referred to as the silver lining of the Golden Triangle. It's a historic project that had four mines on the property, and it has this past production history. But we made four new discoveries in 2017, which adds a new dimension to the project of Dolly Varden. Let's talk about those discoveries, actually. Part of it is a reconstruction of the structural setting of the property. So the technical team have gone in and have discovered north of Torbrit, which is one of the deposits on the property, we have found an extension of that same horizon, but it was down dropped about 200 meters deeper. So think of that as 600 feet deeper on the north side of a fault. You continue in that same high grade zone where it's 20 plus meters thick, so over 60 feet thick high-grade silver mineralization with some lead and zinc credits. That's one of the four new discoveries.
1: Now, by high-grade, there's some real potential there, because I'm reading in your literature that between 1919 and 1921, Dolly Varden Mine was among the richest silver mine in the British Empire, and grades averaged
2: at around 1,100 grams per ton, which is more than bonanza. That's absolutely right. One of our discoveries this past year was at the Moose Lamb discovery, and it looks a lot like the old Dolly Varden. Its grade for silver equivalent was 1.2 kilograms per ton. It had 960 grams of silver plus some base metal credits and that's a brand new discovery that was not on any of the records of this project which has many targets on it. So this is sort of a bonus
1: for the Belcaro Group and your company in that these didn't exist let's say, in the previous iteration of the company. That's correct.
2: One thing that I'd like to bring up since our last discussion on Dolly Varden was that we had a meeting just last week with the provincial government and the First Nations up in the northwestern corner of British Columbia. Some people say are the First Nations, the indigenous people, on side with mining projects. Well, the provincial government is leading an initiative called the Regional Mining Alliance. And the Nishka First Nation and the Talltown First Nation have both signed on to promote mining activities in northwestern British Columbia. So yes, it's a changing situation for the better up in this part of the British Columbia near the Alaska and Yukon borders. What does that mean specifically? How is this a bonus for the company? In the Nishka Les Sims government, they have a settled treaty. They have a treaty as one government to another with the provincial and the federal governments. So it's not a situation that's in doubt. We have meetings with them, we have agreements that we will provide employment in the area as well. So about one third of our exploration crew this past season has been on Dolly Varden was Nishka involvement in the employment, so it's part of our team. So they're advocates more or less? Yes, they become advocates for us for the development of Northwestern British Columbia. That's certainly encouraging to shareholders and I am a shareholder of Dolly Varden
1: Silver. What does the share structure look like?
2: Share structure is fairly tight. has a very strong investor base, the investor base for institutional investment. Sprott Asset Management, Ingalls and Snyder, U.S. Global are three of the larger institutional investors, and they're backing all of our projects in our group, but particularly Dolly Varden is one of their favorites.
1: Now, you and I have known each other a very long time, well, 10 years, and that's primarily because you were involved with the big success, Orco Silver, and you had this geological team as well.
2: That's correct. I have the to be working with a very good technical team and management support that are on the financial side. So it's good to have a good team together on these kinds of projects. So going forward during the next year, What can we expect to see? I'm expecting around the middle of May we will be opening up the camp, and we're looking at a 25,000 meters of diamond drilling. We'll be moving in a drill rig. It'll start about the first week of June, and it will be drilling through to October. The second rig will arrive about a month later, and it will be doing more exploration away from the deposits. The first rig will be targeting some of the new discoveries to develop uh, resources into the future. Well, Ben, it's always a pleasure to speak with you
1: and see you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program here in Toronto at PDAC. You're very welcome. I've been speaking with Ben Whiting, Vice President of Exploration for Dolly Varden Silvercorp, trading as DV on the TSX Venture Exchange and DOLLF in the U.S. Once again, I'm Ellis Martin, and I'm a shareholder of Dolly Varden Silvercorp, and the company is a paid sponsor of this program. Find Dolly Varden on our website, ellismartinreport.com. High-quality but undervalued mining stocks are finally starting to attract the attention of investors. Get the latest news and resource stock investment opportunities with a subscription to Resource World magazine. Published six times a year, Resource World features in-depth articles on mineral area plays, commodities of interest, and valuable investment insights by highly qualified market analysts, geologists, and mining journalists. Go to resourceworld.com to find out more. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Harry Bard, the Chairman and CEO of New Age Metals, trading as NAM on the TSX Venture Exchange and PAWEF in the U.S. New Age Metals Incorporated is a mineral exploration company focused on the discovery, exploration and development of Canada's largest primary platinum group metals, PGM Deposit, the River Valley PGM Project, located in the Sudbury region of Northern Ontario. The company also has a lithium division with five lithium projects of which three are drill ready. The company's philosophy is to be a project generator explorer with the objective of optioning or joint venturing their projects with major and junior mining companies through to production. We joined Mr. Barr today at the recent PDAC conference, the Prospectors and Developers Association of Canada, the largest mining conference on earth.
3: Harry, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. If you don't mind, give our listeners an overview of the company. New Age Metals has two green metals, two divisions. We have the largest undeveloped platinum group metal deposit in Canada near Sudbury, Ontario, a major metallurgical complex 100 kilometers away from us, and we have a lithium division in Manitoba. Well, let's talk about platinum and catalytic converters. They're not going away anytime soon, are they? Absolutely not. Just in the last few years, Ellis, I would say 10 years ago, palladium, about 40% of its use was in catalytic converters. Today, it's 80%.
1: Really, the supply globally is kind of
3: strained and politically challenging in other parts of the world. That's correct. Most of it comes from Russia and South Africa. Very few projects in Canada and the U.S. There's only one producer in Canada, North American Palladium. is doing very well right now. It ships all its concentrates 1,000 kilometers from Thunder Bay to the metallurgical complex that we're 100 kilometers away from. It does that because Sudbury's, both big mining companies, have produced platinum group metals as a buy bi- product for over 60 years. So we have a major metallurgical multi-billion dollar complex 100 kilometers away. The only other producer in Canada ships its concentrates 1,000 kilometers to the same area. Now what are the economics with regard to this project potentially? Well first of all just talking about platinum. Platinum went to about 800 some dollars. A couple of years ago it was about 1,800 dollars. It's now over a thousand. But the most exciting thing in our group because we're primarily a palladium project first. We have eight different metals. It is the best performing metal in the last year it literally went from 400 some dollars to over a thousand so we have two metals that are precious metals but they're industrial metals and uh, again we're in a big mining area and we have a very large deposit let's talk about the size of that land area if you don't mind yeah we have 16 kilometers we have over 16,000 acres most of it 12,000 acres are in a full mining lease that took us six years and 600,000 to get to you can drive a two-wheel vehicle to our car the Sudbury mining area is a big metallurgical complex that's produced for over 120 years. The best universities, the best drilling companies, the best assay companies, everything you need in mining, including the local people and the indigenous people, understand mining and we have a great relationship with everyone there. It's just, in my opinion, one of the best places in Canada to be in the mining industry. And you're no stranger to the area personally, are you? No, I've worked in the Sudbury mining district for over 20 years, grew up in Ontario, actually grew up in a family farm just about four hours drive from here near Ottawa, Ontario, and we still have that farm today since 1866. I know Ontario, it's a great mining jurisdiction, one of the best in the world. We we're very happy working in Ontario.
1: You call yourself a green metals company, Harry. You've got lithium. Let's talk about that. While we're pretty heavily into catalytic converters and that's not going to go away anytime soon, you are preparing for the large deficiency in lithium for what's coming on board with regard to automakers in the future.
3: That's correct. Now we're moving to Manitoba and Another great province to work in. What a lot of people don't know, is there's, there's a mine there, it's called the Tanco Mine, and it's been mining a pegmatite. So looking at lithium and hard rock, you first of all need a pegmatite, then you need to find spodumene in the pegmatite, and that's where you find the lithium. So we were able to hire, I think, one of the best lithium and rare earth metals man in Canada, who had been the exploration manager for that Tanko Mine. We put together in 16 a very large land package in this extensive pegmatite belt. In fact, we have the large Largest claim blocks there now. In less than two years, we've taken five of those projects and we have three of them at the drill ready stage. And then our stated goal, because we're working on the platinum group metals, that's our major focus, was to find a joint venture partner and we probably announce a very good joint venture on January 15 to 18. And just to give you some of the terms, the, the company would have to put near $4 million into expiration. We're the field manager, which means we're the operator of the project, so we get 10% for that. We get up to $3 million Shares of their company over time, we get two hundred ten thousand cash, and we get a two percent royalty on all five properties.
1: So really, it's sort of a royalty streaming deal with regard to the lithium project, and you don't have to spend any of your capital on it. No,
3: no. We, we we have them spending at least a half a million dollars this year. We'll drill in two projects, and over time, over the next three years, they'll spend up to three million. But we have another very interesting twist in our contract. When they get to sixty percent, and if they were to hit a major deposit, we have the option to back in for 42. So we're not out of the project by any means, and we have someone else spending their capital. We're the field manager using our top geologists' expertise from the area and we will be drilling on this project by August September October.
1: Let's talk about the management.
3: Management team I'm very proud to have. Everyone on this company is technical but myself. I started in the industry as a CEO at 24 and I've been running public companies since then. On our board of directors we have four very technical people geologists and engineers. One of them was Anglo Platinum which is the largest producer in the world of platinum group metals started as a young man there and recently retired He's still a young man, in my opinion, at 65, and he was the head of the whole corporation in terms of exploration. His partner and second in command retired too, and came on to our advisory board as a major shareholder. Our president of the company has spent his whole career, and his private company to this day still does all of Anglo Platinum's exploration work. And so we have just in those three guys there almost a hundred years of platinum group metals experience, and there aren't many men in the world that have this kind of technical, over and above uh, technical expertise. and above that, we all our other directors and, and consultants to us are geologists or engineers, so a very senior technical team. Where do you see the company heading out in the next 12 months? What can we look for as shareholders? Well, um, something very exciting before the end of March. In Canada, we have to do what's called a 43-101 resource calculation. I think a lot of your people probably have heard about it, some haven't. What that is, is a complete third-party update on the resources of the project. The last one we did was in 2012. It was an excellent, excellent, very multi-million ounce resource. And I obviously can't say where we're going here yet, but we've done a lot of work, and we expect the next resource to come out before the end of March, and we expect it to be bigger. Secondly, we have done a large geophysical exploration plan this winter, following up from a new discovery we made in 15, 16, and 17. We have now added another 2,000 meters to this, so that's on the northern portion of the property. And our goal up there is to put about a million of the many millions of ounces together in one area. The long-term goal is to have a series of open pits over 16 kilometers of mineralization we would concentrate on site and ship to the metallurgical complex 100 kilometers away.
1: This puts you heavily into the battery chemicals area with regard to especially lithium. Are you looking ahead to offtake right now? Are you a potential takeout candidate? Let's look ahead five years, which is almost impossible to do, but I'm just curious as to what we might
3: see. We have to look at our expertise. We have people on our boards that have been in producing mines, whatever, but we are explorers. That's what we do. And we find deposits, and eventually we need a major partner. Somewhere, I would think, in the next year, you're going to see a a major mining company. Personally, I've done 43 deals as a CEO with major mining companies. And quite frankly, over 300, like the one I told you about in our lithium with junior mining companies. Going forward, we will find a big company. It will be a major company that believes in platinum group metals, especially platinum group metals. But keep in mind, we also have cobalt in our property. We have nickel. We have copper. We have gold we have rhodium and we have platinum and palladium with palladium being the main asset on the property. So we have lots of different metals there. Going from there, we would end up with a major mining company or a private equity company. Now, more and more on the lithium side, big companies that you would never hear of are actually coming almost down to the mine level to get their lithium and cobalt supply. In the next year or two, I think you'll see us partner up with someone that will help us take this all the way or perhaps even buy it. Harry, what's your take on the junior mining sector right now? Well, as, as you know, we're at the biggest mining convention in the world and this is the biggest we've seen at least seven or eight years. The metal prices start to increase last year. Worldwide demand is going up. There hasn't been as much exploration as we'd like in the last seven years and I really think 2018 is the beginning of the change in the junior mining industry for the good. And you think anything related to clean tech might have a larger audience than our typical mining investor? Well, that's a good point. What I learned in getting into lithium, and it was only in 2016, I'm not an expert, but we have an expert on our team who heads up our program was a lot of younger people are buying the shares of cobalt and lithium, which really was exciting because as you know, this industry is mostly the buyers are 40 to 80 who understand the industry, but no, the new green metals are definitely attracting much younger buyers. Well, Well, Harry, it's always a pleasure to see you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Ellis.
1: I've been speaking with Harry Barr, the chairman and CEO of New Age Metals, trading as NAM on the TSX Venture Exchange and PAWEF in the U.S. For more information, go to the company's website, newagemetals.com. I'm Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Robert Mintak, CEO and director of Standard Lithium, trading in the U.S. as STLHF, and on the TSX Venture Exchange as SLL. Standard Lithium is a near producer of Lithium brine. Even though we've been covering the Lithium and battery metal space for quite some time, we're still at the beginning of a complete revolution, if not full transition into a world dominated by electric vehicles. You may not have one now, but most likely you will someday. Right now there's a mandate by major automakers to convert completely to electric vehicles in very short order. Even though the supply for these battery-powered vehicles with regard to lithium is just not here yet. We've found a solution for some of that supply right here in California, and it's nearly ready for offtake or market. We drove up today from Los Angeles to visit with Mr. Mentak at Standard Lithium's Bristol Dry Lake Project in San Bernardino County, California. And let me tell you, I've traveled to many mining projects globally, and this is by far the easiest to get to From either Los Angeles or Las Vegas. Very smooth conditions. Active freight railroad tracks pass right through the area, and site roads are very good. I'd call it Infrastructure Plus, right in the heart of California. The Bristol Dry Lake Playa is a flat salt dry lake that occupies approximately 155 square kilometers in a 2,000 square kilometer arid drainage basin. Standard Lithium's partnership with two permitted brine operators provides it with immediate access to raw brine. The project covers 35,000 acres and covers the majority of the Playa and overlies a basin that is greater than 1,000 meters deep. Standard's position in this nationally important resource is highly strategic, and personally, I've never seen an operation
4: quite like it. Very exciting. What are we looking at here, Robert? Well, Alice, welcome to Bristol Dry Lake Lithium Brine Project in the Mojave Desert in California. 35,000 acres of brine leases that we have under option agreement with two permitted brine operators. The area has been producing industrial minerals from the near-surface brines in Bristol Dry Lake for almost 100 years. How come I wasn't aware of this? Most people weren't aware that there was lithium in the brine in Bristol Dry Lake. The USGS had drilled here in the 70s and 80s, and it was in their publications that they intersected brine from virtually the surface to as deep as they drilled, 500 feet. There was brine intersections pretty much the whole way, but it didn't fit a conventional lithium brine development model that most companies look at using massive evaporation ponds. The chemistry and the permitting challenges, even though there's currently producing mines here, a traditional mindset would look at this and say, no, it wouldn't work. But the state of the lithium extraction processing is now opened this opportunity and we seized it because we looked at it and said, where else can you work with an asset where you know you're gonna have access to brine immediately we successfully negotiated agreements with the two permitted operators here to begin work right away. And we knew there was lithium in the uh, brine because we could come in the day one, we signed an agreement, and we took thousands of litres of brine to sample and begin processing. Essentially, you're in production. Do I have that right? I wouldn't say production, but we have a fast track to get the resource developed. Right now, we've got five trill holes being put in the ground here. And we've taken tens of thousands of litres of brine, taken it to our three different campuses in North America to begin lab-scale work to unlock the lithium from the so that we can put a flow sheet together towards pointing to a fast track to production. You've been in the mining business for quite some time, in the lithium
1: sector for a while. Are you surprised by what you've discovered?
4: Not surprised by what we discovered, but I was Pleasantly surprised that we were able to put the deal together quite quickly. That both the permitted operators in Bristol Lake were open to working with us. National Chloride, we signed a deal with them in the spring of 2017, and then with Tetra Technologies, New York Stock Exchange listed chemical supply company. We signed a deal with both of them that gives us the option to acquire the rights to the lithium development in Bristol Dry Lake. And we put the deals together quite quickly, which allowed us to really point to our investors to show that, yes, there is a path to production here.
1: And production cost, as compared to other juniors
4: in the sector right now, uh, what are we looking at? I can't really put OPEX and CAPEX numbers on it, but the things that we looked at on this project were to unlock the asset using a modern process, what did we need? We needed to know that we had a brine with lithium in the chemistry. We had access to the brine so we could prove that right away. We needed to know that we would have a fairly straightforward permitting regime. It's an industrial mining area of California. Almost 100 years of mining has gone on here. And there's two permitted operators, so we could point to a path to show that the permitting would be without a lot of hurdles. We also needed to know the other thing you need on a modern process for lithium extraction is you need to have access to cheap reagents, probably some of the cheapest chemical reagents in the world because we're in the heartland of the United States. If you look around here you'll see there's a paved highway to the front door. There's water, there's power, there's rail at the site. You don't have any better infrastructure anywhere in the world so we could look at those things and say this is a great stage to launch a modern lithium brine project.
1: I traveled up from Los Angeles. Took me about three and a half hours on paved roads all the way and from all the projects I've visited all over the world. This has been the easiest to get to, the less nauseating. As you know, a lot of projects are off-road and they're very difficult to get to and we passed the railroad tracks where you're going to be offloading. It's just right here.
4: Yeah, no, there's the Burlington Northern. is right. It's actually the siding on the project. Tetra loads chemicals right from the project location we're at here and ships it across North America. So we can look at all of those things and we can say this is an opportunity for california to participate in the clean energy renewables and the electric vehicle economy california is the epicenter of the green movement tesla was built here solar and wind are key in california but There hasn't been an opportunity to have a raw material supply as part of that, and we're hoping to demonstrate that.
1: What kind of contact do you have with the local and state government here in California?
4: We've just started making an introduction of what we're trying to do with standard lithium in California. We've made some face-to-face meetings in Sacramento, and we had an extremely receptive audience. Unlike the challenges you would think of building a mining project or a classical mining project in a state like California working in an area that has been producing industrial minerals for close to 100 years, as I said, and also working to build a product that will go into lithium batteries to be part of the green supply chain. It gives a halo to the project where it aligns with the state's interest. What kind of mine life are we looking at potentially? Does anybody really know? Well, we're working on those numbers now. So we're working to produce a national instrument 43-101 during the second quarter of 2018. We've got exploration crews right now drilling wells, getting that data, all the data points necessary for that. And we've been able to act quickly because working with both the permitted operators allowed us a lot of opportunity to work somewhat under their umbrella and we're doing the work to unlock the flow sheet on the lithium processing so we'll be looking at that 43101 coming out but we can look at what's gone on historically here and say you know they've been really just scratched the surface on the resource that they have here they've been mining for as i said close to 100 years and what we're looking at is really magnifying the opportunity here from the work that tetra and national chloride have done and really building a model that will show that this will be a world-class and a a world-scale project. And you
1: have a sizable potential here in California, but there's Arkansas to discuss.
4: Yeah, we just recently announced uh, at the start of 2018 that we signed a deal with Tetra Technologies. Again, we've got the deal with them in California, but also on what really may be one of the most exciting lithium projects in the world and the smack over in southern Arkansas for 33,000 acres of brine leases there. And we also just announced a couple of weeks ago that we signed an LOI with an existing chemical processing company in southern Arkansas to build a pilot plant adjacent to an existing permitted facility. So all those things align with our business model where we were looking to eliminate project risk in that working with opportunities to work with existing producers so we could fall under their... Permits have access to brine working in areas where we know the brine, we'd be able to access it to begin process work immediately. Those things all aligned. What we're doing in California, we're doing in Arkansas as well. And we're going to have some significant news developments coming out of there. The 33,000 acres that we picked up in Arkansas had over 256 wells drilled on it already. We have access to all the drill log. We have access to over 200 miles of 2D seismic on that. So we're going to be very quickly be able to build a hydrogeological model and put out a resource without having to spend a lot because the work's been done already.
1: The value of being a journalist in the resource sector, in addition to being an investor, is that you can travel to the site and take a look for yourself to evaluate how developed a project is, essentially determining if a story is mostly promotional or in fact real, with a producing mind coming in the near future. And our crew saw just that.
4: We're doing real work. We're not just promoting like a lot of junior companies are. Get ground, run a promotion, then try and get some more ground and never do any work. We've been active since day one. Because we were able to work with National Chloride, and work under some of their mining permits. As soon as we signed the agreement, we got Brian to start working with, but we also got a geophysics crew on the ground, ran a gravity survey and a EM survey within the first three months, and then we started drilling in October, and we've been drilling ever since.
1: I've been speaking with Robert Mintek, CEO and Director of Standard Lithium, trading in the U.S. as STLHF and on the TSX Venture Exchange as SLL. Learn more about Standard Lithium by going to their website, standardlithium.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Dale Brentlip, geologist, speaking on behalf of OREX Minerals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as REX and the U.S. as ORMNF. OREX Minerals is a Canadian-based junior mineral exploration company with an impressive portfolio of large gold, silver, and copper exploration projects on renowned mineral trends in Mexico, including the Caneto San Luis del Cordero and Sandra Escobar projects as well as in Canada with the Jumping Josephine Gold Project. Each project has impressive merits of its own. Packaged together, the chance of Oryx making the next big resource discovery increases dramatically. The company's directors and management include industry professionals with a consistent track record of identifying and advancing successful mineral exploration projects. We joined Mr. Britliff today at the recent PDAC conference, the Prospectors and Developers Association of Canada, the largest mining conference on earth, Dale, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Alice. It's nice to be here. If you don't mind, give us an overview of the company.
5: Oryx Minerals is active in Mexico. We have three projects in Durango State. We have a field office based there, and we're busy exploring and looking for new opportunities in that silver trend in Mexico. Well, Durango State is a fantastic jurisdiction, actually, in Mexico to do business, isn't it? It is. As most of us know, Durango has many large silver mines. It's known as the Silver State locally. We've had success there in the past. We know the area, and we're busy trying to advance our three projects at the moment. Let's talk about those projects, if you don't mind. would be aware of the Sandra Escobar project. We've recently released the news that we've done a deal, a non-binding LOI with Pan American Silver. That solidifies our position in the camp. What we've done with Pan American is we've combined our claims and their claims. Ours are a JV with Canasil. So there's a three-way JV that consolidates all of the claims together. And uh, together we're going to be funding exploration there over the next three years. Pan American have pledged $5 million towards exploration and Canasil or XJV are going to put in $1 million over the next three to four years and hopefully we're going to advance that project considerably over the next couple of years. Let's talk about the team, starting with you. I'm a geologist. I uh, was born uh, just north of Perth in Western Australia, and my dad's a metallurgist. Uh, I grew up in the mining industry. I grew up around conveyor belts and shaker tables, so mining's in my blood, and I've never even strayed away from that. I have a degree in botany and also a geology. I've, the botany degree is an environmental science degree. In my early years, I decided that would be a good way to go, to be a, a proactive mining advocate. I always knew there was a relationship between the soil and the rocks beneath and the plants above. It's, it's quite obvious in Western Australia you can follow geology based on the, the types of plants growing there. So I always thought they were a good mix. Geology sparked my attention very early on. I've always had a love of landforms, geography and, and travels. It's just a natural progression for me to go exploring for gold originally and now I'm, I'm looking for silver as well. So with you and your life it's the environment first? Of course. Well we live in the environment. It's a balance. Everything's a balance and we need people to mitigate the damage in the environment. As we know, mining is something of a touchy subject with a lot of people. I think mining is essential for our way of life, and I think there's a way that we can mine responsibly for, for many generations to come. Do you think there's a misconception now with regard to the public? Is mining above board
1: all the way with countries like Canada and Australia really leading the world in environmental technology and, and soil remediation and putting back water in the ground cleaner than it came out?
5: Of course. We strive to be better. Every time we go into a project, we try to do better. Technology is getting better. So, Social responsibility is more to the forefront in many of these companies. I think it comes down to people as well. The way you treat people, the way you engage the local people in the area you're working in is very important. Gone are the days of throwing money at communities. We have to work with the communities and work to better their lives as well. I mean we can't work without their help and we certainly can't continue to work if we damage the environment or damage the water or poison things. It's not acceptable anymore.
1: That's certainly good to hear and I'm sure our
5: audience will appreciate that as well. What can we expect to see for the next 12 months? First First and foremost, we're going to get going on the San Luis del Cordero project. That's a new acquisition for Oryx We've done a deal with Altiplano for 100% ownership. It's in Durango. It has great infrastructure to it. It's historically seen a lot of work. It has about 60 drill holes in it and I believe there's a small resource on it. We intend to expand that, do some drilling and expand that. That's the first project that will be off the ranks this year. The Coneto project is a joint venture between Oryx and Prisnia. Secondly, Sandra Escobar, we are forming a technical committee with Pan-American Silver, Canisil, and ourselves. We plan to set a budget for this year, and we intend to run some geophysics, continue our mapping and geochemistry, and we plan to culminate that with some drilling at the end of the year, or toward in the latter half of the year. With Cornetto, we're currently working with Fresneo to devise the next round of exploration on that project as well. And what does the share structure look like for the company? At the moment, there's about 100 million shares outstanding in OREX. With warrants as well, it's about $126 now uh, with a share price of about 17 cents.
1: Dale, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the program in Toronto. It's been my pleasure. Thanks. I've been speaking with Dale Brentliff of OREX Minerals, trading as REX on the TSX Venture Exchange and ORMNF in the U.S. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Patrick Highsmith, the CEO of Pure Energy Minerals. Pure Energy. Trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol PE.B, and in the U.S. as PEMIF. Pure Energy Minerals is an emerging leader in the development of innovative, resource-efficient mineral exploration and project development, notably with lithium. The company is focused on its 9,500-acre flagship lithium brine project located in Clayton Valley, Nevada. Lithium is used in a wide assortment of mobile devices, hybrid electric vehicles, and power storage. Pure Energy Minerals announced that the company had entered into an agreement with Tesla Motors for the potential supply of lithium hydroxide that they intend on producing from Clayton Valley, not far from the Tesla Gigafactory. We join Mr. Highsmith today at the recent PDAC conference, the Prospectors and Developers Association of Canada, the largest mining conference on Earth. Patrick, welcome to the program. Thanks. Good to be here, Alice. This is the largest mining convention in the world, happens every year, over 30,000 people here
6: this year. Why are we here, Patrick? You know, it's it's a gathering place for the world, Ellis. I think this is my 21st in a row. The first 10 years I was in the business, I was too technical to do things like come to PDAC. But frankly, today it's a meeting place for business to business, investors, and we can come here and have meetings more efficiently than anywhere I've ever been in this business. So busy week, lots of meetings. And deals do happen here, don't they, occasionally? I've been told that deals happen here. That is true, and you do get together with movers and shakers. Money meets issuers meets doers of things. We think we're a doer of things, and uh, we've had a busy week here. For shareholders of Pure Energy and IM1, what can we look forward to during the next 6 to 12 months? Right now at Pure Energy, we are really intensely focused in two areas. First, that pilot plan in Nevada that I've been telling you about. We spent a week in Israel. Walter Weinig, our vice president for projects and permitting, and I were there working hand-in-hand with the engineering teams from Tenova Advanced Technologies, Noram, and also the guys from Suez Water out of France, the French water company that acquired GE Water. And we are really looking at... Sort of simulating that pilot plant, looking at the hazards of safety and operability, and doing really the final design work, working with process flow diagrams, practically the blueprint of the first pilot plant for this exciting new technology. Maybe it's worth talking about that at a later time, or we can spend a little more time on what we learned there. I do have a question for you, Patrick. You'll be the first company of its kind, basically, to employ this type of technology, won't you? We are. We're the most advanced company in advancing through the testing of the Tanova lithium recovery technologies. We've gone through a mini pilot plant. We've been working with those guys on the design. And here in the Q2 of this year, we'll finalize the design for that pilot plant and proceed to finish the financing for it and get the thing built in Nevada. And it'll be the first of its kind.
1: Now once it's built and once you've tested the process,
6: how long after that can we potentially see some kind of production out of that area? We published the timeline in our PEA, Ellis, and we're pretty close on to that. Here we are in Q1 of 2018, we're well into the design, we're into the procurement phase for that pilot plant, and Walter's working hard on the permitting as well. So we expect later this year to be issued the permits required and to fully finance that pilot plant. It's a project between 15 and 20 million dollars to deliver, but that's design, build, And operate for nine months and from that of course we'll be producing battery grade lithium hydroxide that our customers can have to certify for future purchase so about a year from now that pilot plan will be running. Let's talk about those potential customers and you're in Nevada which is a great place to be. That's right. Nevada is a great mining jurisdiction. We've got a trained workforce. We have regulators who understand how to permit major projects. And what's more, a lot of new technologies have been broken in Nevada. For instance, heap leach gold, of course, was a boom there in the 80s. The regulators got the work done to get that permitted. And those companies went on, of course, to build giant gold mines in Nevada. We think the same can be true for lithium. After all, North America's only lithium producer is our neighbor, but they're using 50-year-old technology. So we're going to bring something along that's a little newer. Maybe we can shake things up a bit, but the local Nevada workforce and regulators are supportive, and they're watching what we're doing.
1: Now, this has been a theme, at least of mine, here at this conference. Clean tech, green tech, many people outside the mining sector. The general public doesn't have necessarily a positive view of mining, but we're nothing
6: if not environmentally active. Today, breakthroughs with lithium batteries are facilitating electric vehicles, energy storage from renewable power, and the key ingredients in there are lithium, of course, cobalt and graphite, all those battery metals we talked about, and what better for the environment than to be transitioning to those new technologies. And as we've always known in in the mining industry, Ellis, everything comes from the ground. We either grow it or we mine it, whether it's something that cleans up the environment or in the old days something that polluted the environment. We need the raw materials, and lithium is a key part of that. So as far as I'm concerned, we're part of the pillar of the uh, clean tech and green energy community because we're supplying the raw materials that can clean up energy production and energy storage. Let's talk about the share structure. Of the company, Patrick, and your background. Well, I've been in the mining industry for 30 years. I happen to have been in the lithium industry for almost 10 years. I'm kind of an old gray hair in that space. I'm kind of known as a gold guy and a and a lithium guy. I worked for major companies in the past. I am a geological engineer and I'm a geochemist, which is a little bit of a quirky kind of geologist who knows some chemistry, and that fits well with working with lithium and lithium brines. The company has been around for about five years now. A pretty long time for a junior company. We just closed a small financing with a syndicate led by Canaccord that put about five and a half million dollars in the bank. And we're sitting there with about 140 million shares outstanding and uh, a diverse shareholder base, some new institutions coming into that, and uh, a lot of retail shareholders as well. Our biggest shareholder is Lithium-X, as a matter of fact, and second to them, Commodity Capital, a fund that specializes with a big part of their effort into the battery metal space. And of course, let's not forget the Terracotta Project in Argentina. Right. Thanks for reminding me. The second area of focus for us is the first ever drill program on our Terracotta Lithium Brine Project in Salta Province. Drills are turning and uh, kind of exciting early stage for that project, but great address, right in the Lithium Triangle, paved highway, gas pipeline, very nearby, so a comfortable place to work and work's going smoothly. The drills are moving right along.
1: Patrick, it's always a
6: pleasure to see you. Thank you so much for joining me today at the program
1: here at PDAC in Toronto. Thank you, Alice. Good to be here. I've been visiting with Patrick Highsmith of Pure Energy Minerals. Pure Energy Minerals trades as PEMIF in the U.S. and as P on the TSX Venture Exchange. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or TuneIn Radio. I'm Ellis Martin, and I'm a shareholder of Pure Energy Minerals.
0: Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartinreport.com.
1: Once again, here's Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Paul Cronin the CEO and Managing Director of Black Dragon Gold, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange is BDG. Black Dragon Gold owns 100% of the Salave Gold Project in the Asturias region of Spain through its wholly owned subsidiary, EMC. Salave is a technically robust project situated in a highly prospective region and recognized as one of the largest underdeveloped gold projects in Europe. Paul, welcome back to the program.
7: Thanks, Ellis. Very pleased to be here as always.
1: What is happening with the Salave project in northern Spain?
7: Well, look, as I uh, said to you last time we spoke, we were getting ready to do a drill program. I'm very pleased to say that on the 23rd of January, we started drilling on two sites. We've just finished our first hole. We should have the second hole complete in a day or two. And then we're going to continue to do another four holes, you know, without having the benefit of seeing the actual uh, chemical assay results, what we can say just by visually inspecting the drill core is that we've intercepted mineralization pretty much exactly where we were hoping to.
1: So what does that mean going forward?
7: Well, this is the interesting thing. This drilling that we're doing at the moment, as I said previously, is not really about a massive expansion of the number of ounces of gold that we've got in the deposit. This drilling is really designed to focus on geometry, geometry of the ore body and understanding where it goes at Depth. You know, what we know today about the Salave deposit through the very extensive drilling that's been done is that this deposit is basically being fed by a series of hydrothermal conduits where solutions have sort of come up from deep in the Earth's crust and made contact with these sulfides and then disseminated across a series of lenses. But in the northwest of the deposit, there was an anomaly to that theory. And we could see by looking at the deposit in a 3D model that this structure here was not vertical, it was actually subvertical. This drilling campaign will help us understand whether this deposit is actually really open to the northwest end at depth, in which case we think that a further, more extensive exploration program could potentially add quite a few ounces. But the most important thing for us, in terms of what we discover here, is that the mining approach... Approach to this deposit has always been, well, go underground and start mining at around 100, 110 meters and then work your way down. But what we're seeing down at around 250 to 300 meters is the grades are coming up quite substantially. Some of the historical drilling in the area that we are working at the moment intercepted very high-grade intercepts. We're talking sort of 20, 22 metres at around 40 grams a tonne. And so our approach, you know, subject to the results of this programme, will mean that we'll probably start mining at around the 300 to 350 metre below surface level. Now that, to most people, would sound, well, you're going to be going deeper and therefore it's going to be more expensive. Not necessarily. If you go deeper and you're mining higher grade, it presents a number of advantages particularly on a deposit like Salave where there is an opportunity to substantially minimize the amount of surfacing which means that we mine an area of, of the deposit and then we immediately take that waste rock which is stored underground, amend it so that it becomes less porous and basically put it back in the mined out area. Now that substantially reduces the size of any tailings infrastructure that you would need at surface and obviously for the local community that's a massive positive and that would mean that our surface infrastructure is substantially lower, would potentially reduce our costs and enable us to accelerate the Permitting of the project, so we're quite excited by what we're seeing today. I'm really looking forward to seeing these drill hole results and seeing what they come in at in terms of grade and the impact on that on the geometry of the oil body. But today, I'm pretty encouraged by what we're seeing. You're doing
1: things that the Spaniards and the Romans could not have done hundreds of years ago, or even the locals about 40 years ago with technology that was just not available. Then you're finding grades that perhaps they never found, or they did at surface, but
7: yeah. Well, the Romans didn't have the metallurgical technology to extract gold from sulphide deposits so the Romans have essentially mined the oxide, they essentially broke up the rock and panned it like you would in a river. What we've got is a far more disseminated gold mineralization in pyrites which requires uh, a bit of a chemistry set to recover but that's consistent with 90% of gold projects that are in production today. So our approach is very different and obviously the Romans mine this open pit. Well, We're going to go underground and the reason we're going underground is the grade is much better underground and the incremental cost of having an underground mine versus an open pit mine will be paid off by the fact that you're recovering less tons with more gold in them. We've looked at this deposit in a number of ways. We think that uh, underground is the right way to go. And as I said, I think we can get most of our infrastructure underground as well, which will not only reduce costs, but it'll have a much lower environmental impact in the local environment and the local community.
1: What's different about underground mining with the technology we have today than let's say it was 20 years ago?
7: Look, there's not a, a significant difference in that but what we have now is the ability to quickly extract rock, have it tested, so we know the boundaries of our ore body. What that means is we have less dilution, so we're bringing up less waste rock relative to the total amount of, of ore that we're moving, and obviously that increases the amount of grade that we're putting through our plant and minimises the cost of extraction of non-economic ore.
1: Is this similar to some of the very deep gold mines in South Africa and similar techniques with regard to underground mining?
7: No, it's different. In South Africa, in the Val Reefs, for example, those gold deposits are sometimes one and a half or two kilometers underground. So they access those mines through a very expensive shaft and they have multiple shafts that move people and all up and down into the mine. What we're proposing is a decline. So we essentially construct an underground road that's about five meters by five meters. And that underground road dips at around 10 to 15 degrees and allows us to systematically move into different areas of the deposit and more selectively mine them, so we have less waste and more payable ore that we bring back into our flotation circuit.
1: How are you capitalized moving forward to undergo this task?
7: We believe there's a strong argument for doing further exploration underground. We'll make this decision over the next few months, but indicatively we're considering constructing an underground exploration decline which will facilitate us to do more drilling without surface disturbance but also at lower cost. That underground decline ultimately would be the operating decline for the mines. What we're doing is advancing spend but not spending more than we need to. We'll have the opportunity to get underground and do a lot more exploration from there. And as I said, we'll make those decisions once we've rebound the resource in Q2.
1: And the plan is to produce, correct?
7: Absolutely, yeah. Salabe is one of the highest grade and largest undeveloped gold mines in Europe. We are absolutely planning to produce.
1: Some of the members of my audience have contacted me, and they mentioned Black Dragon, and I mentioned it, of course, in my circles, and it's still an unknown. In fact, Spain's kind of an unknown in our sector, Uh, not for you, of course, and perhaps not for me, and perhaps not for the shareholders that you currently have, but why is this such an unknown story right now?
7: Oh, look, I think there's been little activity uh, at Salave in the last four years, But Spain has a very active mining sector. There is copper mines, nickel mines, other base metal mines. There is a gold mine called Ervale, which is moving about 2,500 tonnes a a day from underground, only about 60 kilometres from where we are at Salave. I think the project has never really had a a management team dedicated to putting it into production. There's been lots of expiration, and through the cycles, the funding available to it has gone up and down. I think the difference with Black Dragon since we've taken the project over is we've got a very, very strong and supportive shareholder base who are willing to allow us to continue to push toward bringing this project back into production because they fundamentally know that at those grades and at that depth and the approach that we want to take in terms of the extraction of the ore body, it's going to be a very economic mine.
1: And I always thought that the company was undervalued, and that's just me speculating and talking. I I think it still potentially is, even though the market has uh, increased uh, significantly in the last few weeks, it's still potentially a very nice value if you're considering uh, investing in the company.
7: Well, I think when a company is stagnant for a number of years, investors lose interest. So the share price is definitely undervalued for what it is. It's got you know a million ounces at just under five grams a ton if we look at comparable companies it should have an enterprise value of in the region of 70 to 80 million dollars but it's got an enterprise value closer to 15 the onus there is on management on me to make sure that we're telling people what we've got telling people what we're going to do and more importantly delivering on what we say we're going to do. So we came out in July after we took over Black Dragon and we said that we're going to do exploration. We're going to get a drill permit and we're going to drill out this northwest extension. Well, we're doing that. You know, there were people who said to us, well, you know, it's going to take you a long time to get all the permits to drill. Well, it didn't. We had them in place and we've used them. So the project will pick up in value and over the last Four weeks since we've really been actively out telling the story, talking to brokers, talking to funds about what we've got at Salave and what Black Dragon is, the amount of interest is really picking up. And you can see that in our volumes and you can see that in our share price, which is basically almost doubled since the beginning of the year. But in saying that, we're still... Undervalued, and we still believe there's plenty of growth to be had in Black Dragon equity. And if you look at what we're doing this year, obviously we've got some drill hole results coming out in, probably in mid-March and some more in April. We'll be putting a new mineral resource estimate on the project that we think will be uh, a very positive development in Q2 this year. We hope to be doing another preliminary economic analysis to a 43-101 standard in Q3. And then we'll obviously be making our applications for any development work moving forward. So I think there's a lot happening at Black Dragon. And as we continue to work on that, and as we continue to deliver results and inform the stock exchange of those and inform our investor base and those that are looking at the stock, we'll continue to see that share price tick up and the volumes tick up.
1: Well, Paul, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I look forward to another update as soon as you have one available. Thank you so much for joining me today in the program.
7: Thanks very much, Ellis. I look forward to talking to you again soon.
1: I've been speaking with Paul Cronin, the CEO and Managing Director of Black Dragon Gold, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol BDG. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com.
0: Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Once again, here's
1: Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Gary Cope, the president and director of Barcelli Minerals Corporation, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as BME and the U.S. as BRSLF. Barcelli is a Canadian-based junior mineral exploration company with an impressive gold, silver, and copper exploration project on renowned mineral trends in Sweden. The management team of this company is widely recognized for the identification of La Preciosa Silver Gold Deposit in Durango, Mexico for Orco Silver. We joined Mr. Cope today at the recent PDAC conference, the Prospectors and Developers Association of Canada, the largest mining conference on earth.
8: Gary, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks for having me back, Ellis. Let's give our audience a quick overview of the company. Well, Barsley uh, Minerals is a joint venture with Agnico Eagle in northern Sweden. We're building a, a big gold deposit that Agnico Eagle's are aggressively drilling and building ounces every day. And we're covered. It's a 55-45 joint venture split, to which we're covered until pre-feasibility without having to put out any capital. Which means that Agnico is picking up all the expenses and doing all the work. They are and will be until they can deliver a pre-feasibility to us and at that point it'll be a 70-30 joint venture split with us having to contribute 30% of the cost.
1: Fantastic now let's talk about Sweden you don't really hear too much talk about it in the mining industry but it's one of the best
8: jurisdictions
1: in the world the infrastructure is amazing and it's very rich in minerals.
8: It is a lot of people don't know that Sweden leads the Europe in mineral production of all minerals it's a very mining friendly country with you know a rich history of mining.
1: Now you would think that the taxation in Sweden might be very very significant but it's quite the opposite with regard to a mining
8: concern. It is it's a flat 22% which is one of the lowest in the world and with no NSRs or no extra taxes or anything on the mining. And of course the political risk is non-existent. It is it's like you said it's one of the be- top two jurisdictions in the world with them and Finland going back and forth as number one.
1: If you don't I'm curious. I don't think I've ever asked you this question. How did you find the property?
8: Uh, we had a shareholder in orex who got wind that this project might be available. It came from a company called Northland who made a decision to try and put some iron ore mines into production in Sweden and raised a, a billion and a half and found out it wasn't enough and ended up going bankrupt. And we were fortunate enough to be on site at the time and got a really good deal we thought and also bought an NSR off them that we still hold in Orex.
1: Now that's a strategy more. Morally- with your entire group, with the Belcarra Group. You look for opportunity where other people perhaps need to move on.
8: Yeah, our model is to look at exploration projects that we think can get to a size that'll attract one of the major miners. We've been successful. We sold La Preciosa in Mexico to Coeur, taking it from virtually no resource to 275 million ounces of silver and ended up in a bidding war and, and eventually selling it to Coeur. Of course, a bidding war is a good thing. It's always a good thing. Now, some of those shareholders that were involved in Orco, are they in Involved with Barcelay? They are. Uh, our ORCO shareholders, th- there was a move from ORCO once it was bought out to move into OREX. And then OREX, we spun Barcelay out of OREX one for one. So the OREX shareholders became Barcelay shareholders, and a lot of them had ORCO previously. What's the share structure look like for this company? I think we're about 126 million shares fully diluted, with a market cap right now of just around 100 million. Our last warrants are coming due this month, and uh, after that, the company's clean as a whistle. Who are some of the major investors? It's Very tightly held. I think our largest shareholding would be Ingalls & Snyder out of New York. They own somewhere around 50 million shares. The next one would be U.S. Global in San Antonio, and uh, they own just over 10%, and then it would be management with also well over 10%. What can we look forward to as a shareholder, which I am, during the next year? Much more drilling for Magnico, hopefully some exciting news on some new deposits that they have found and are pursuing now and a new update at the end of next year which we hope will grow as much as this year's update did.
1: Well Gary it's always a pleasure to see you thank you so much for joining me today in the program here in Toronto. Thanks for having me Ellis. I've been speaking with Gary Cope. President and Director of Barcelli Minerals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as BME and the U.S. as BRSLF. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Steve Cope is the CEO and Director of Silver Viper Minerals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as VIPR. Silver Viper Minerals is a Canadian-based junior mineral exploration company with an exciting silver, gold, and base metal exploration project in Mexico. The Clemente Project. The company's directors and management include industry professionals with a consistent track record of identifying and advancing successful mineral exploration projects. The Clemente Project is located near the city of Cabarca in the state of Sonora, Mexico. It's part of the Sonora Mojave Megashir, a 700-kilometer-long trend defined by medium to large orogenic gold and silver deposits. We joined Mr. Cope today at the recent PDAC conference, the Prospectors and Developers Association of Canada, the largest mining conference on Earth. Steve, welcome to the show again.
9: Thanks for having me, Ellis.
1: We've got something new and exciting that you've announced just recently with regard to Pan American Silver. Let's talk about that.
9: Yeah, so with regards to our La Virginia project, we've had Pan American now come in. We've announced an LOI on the surrounding ground to the internal claims that were previously announced, and now brings the, the land package back to where it was when Minefinder was exploring it in uh, 2011. So we now got over 37,000 hectares of land.
1: Now you are getting ready to pen an agreement with Pan American Silver, is that true?
9: Yes, we would expect on both the internal Internal claims and the deal with Pan American then in the next coming weeks that will you'll see public announcements on the definitive agreements.
1: Here we are in early March. You've got a geology team on site. What does that mean?
9: Well currently our geological team is running a mapping and sampling program across the entire 37,000 hectare package looking for new exciting targets as well as sampling the existing areas that were already drilled. We're positive that we're gonna see a lot of new target areas that we'll be able to make some brand new discoveries on.
1: So you're an exploration and development company all at the same time?
9: Absolutely. I mean, our expertise is certainly drilling and exploring and proving something up to where we can sell it to one of the majors and make our shareholders a lot of money.
1: Are the majors already at your front door more or less?
9: Yeah, I mean we've talking to people at the conference here. There's already certain ones that have said they've flown over the project and they want to get on site as quick as possible. So no, we have very good relationships with a lot of the major mining companies.
1: So what would keep you hypothetically from doing a
9: deal in the very near future? Seeing that we can add a lot more value through our own, so we don't sell too cheap. (laughs) Well, that's always the wish if you're a shareholder of the company, which I am, as a matter of fact. Our goal is to get the most for our shareholders. We're shareholders ourselves in the company. We put our money where our mouth is behind our companies, and we're believers that we're going to find something and add shareholder value. Well, you had a big success for shareholders years ago with regard to Orco Silver. Yeah, we sold the La Preciosa project to Core Mining. It was a bidding war between them and First Majestic, and we ended up selling that for $375 million. and that was a project that we, in fact, put drill hole number one in and then took all the way to where we had 270 million ounces of silver. Bidding wars are kind of fun, aren't they? Well, let's hope we get in another one. They're a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> Tell us about your team, if you don't mind.
9: Well, we've got four senior geologists in our office. We're the Belcara management group, and then we have Gary Cope, who's chairman of this company, but is the president and CEO of a number of the other companies within our group. Our team's had ex- exploration experience all over the world, and that's what we do. We go and we drill. We try and prove up a theory and add shareholder value. So during the next
1: six months, what sort of development might we see
9: potentially? Well, we're aiming for drilling early May, end of April. At that point, I think we'll have two rigs turning on this project, an initial 5,000 meter program, but I would expect that program not to stop. Based on success, we'll keep going and we're going to drill this project aggressively. And what's the share structure of the company for those that are just listening for the first time? We did our IPO last September. We currently have 42 million shares outstanding. The IPO is done at 25 cents and I believe we're currently trading at 17 cents a share, Canadian.
1: Well, Steve, Steve, it's always a pleasure to see you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the program here in Toronto.
9: Thanks for having me, Alice. It's always a pleasure.
1: I've been speaking with Steve Cope, CEO and Director of Silver Viper Minerals. Trading of the TSX Venture Exchange VIPR. Listen to the segment again on our website. Ellismartreport.com.
0: You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. they paid us for the privilege. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website. Ellismartreport.com.